Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Tina Brown is the former editor-in-chief of Tatler, Vanity Fair, and The New Yorker founded The Daily Beast. You'll remember she's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Diana Chronicles, and now has a brand new book. It's called The Palace Papers, Inside the House of Windsor, The Truth and the Turmoil. Tina, so nice to have you back. I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's great to be back. How nice to see that Her Majesty looked so great at age 96 last weekend at the Royal Windsor Horse Show, the beginning of the celebration of her 70... It's amazing. Yeah, that was such a tonic to the nation because there's been numerous cancelled appearances by the Queen. She's in very frail health, is the truth. Uh, And this is something that has brought a huge amount of consternation, obviously, because the Jubilee, her 70 years on the throne, is about to be celebrated in the first weekend of June. Massive national joy about it. And no one quite knew, you know, would the Queen actually be seen, you know, by the time of the Jubilee. So there was great delight when she came out to the horse show. She looked so happy. Everyone was thrilled. If you could see my copy of your book, it's all marked up. And there are many notes (laughs) in the margin. I'm, I'm in the prologue. And I'm already <laughs> writing, Tina writes 
well. Here, here's a paragraph. <laughs> the dazzle of royalty that captivated Megan is an optical illusion. It was hard for her to grasp that the organic lemon and elderflower dessert served at her fairy tale Windsor Castle wedding was Alice in Wonderland's Eat Me Cake. Even as she became a bigger and bigger star on the global stage, she would have to simultaneously shrink into the voiceless requirements of service to the crown. What a, what a craft do you have? Oh, thank you so much. Well, you know, this is the great uh, sort of misunderstanding, unfortunately, that, that Megan brought to the role. You know, she, you can't actually have a voice if you are a member of the whole family. The whole point is, you're, you're representational. You represent the nation, and you serve the queen, the crown, the sovereign. It's not about you getting up and talking about, you know, your own opinions. And it's hard, frankly, for a modern, a modern young woman who's already, uh, you know, got a career, a life, and an opinion to live that way. But that was the job. This is a source of, of ongoing debate between my producer and me. I always am the one saying, hey... If Meghan and Harry really wanted privacy, the last place they'd move is to California near Oprah. <laughs> well, look, I agree. And I think it stunned everybody in the family because actually everybody knew that Harry hated his role. He, he loved his life in the army for 10 years. He served bravely in the military. He came out and started to just hate the fact that he was the second, that he was the second, uh, the second, uh, you know, in after, uh, after William. And he didn't have the same status and he didn't have the same kind of opportunities. And he just hated it, really. And a lot of people thought, you know, he might well end up leaving the royal family. But nobody expected him to go off and live the life, essentially, of around-the-clock celebrity in California, sort of seeking TV spotlights every way he can. And that's what some people, everyone thought he's going to go off and live on a farm in South Africa you know, become a sort of truly private person. That's what he really wants. That's what he'd always said he wanted. No, he's done the exact opposite. She would never stand for that. Hey, by the way, as Tina Brown wrote it, quote, there was a histrionic, even hysterical quality to the way the Sussexes declared they wanted to be private. And you go on to explain that the ultimate gated community is itself Kensington Palace. Well, that's correct. And, you know, although the, the, the royals are under 24-7 scrutiny, they all find ways to live very private lives. I mean, for a start, yes, living at Kensington Palace or any one of the palaces, you're hugely protected, of course, both by security and, frankly, there's no one who's going to get their cameras in there. Uh, uh, you know, and secondly, you know, they do go to dinners with friends. They do uh, have friends around. They do lead their own private lives. I mean, William and Kate have a very private time in Norfolk. They're about to leave Norfolk now for the Windsor area. But for years, they've lived in Norfolk with their kids and, and sometimes can be seen on the beach with their children and people there know, you know, to give them their space. And they lead a kind of country, a country existence that isn't really trammeled by, by intrusion. So it is possible, in fact, to, to be private if you're royal. Tina, my favorite anecdote from the book on this whole privacy issue is that you have Philip driving around London in a taxi so that he can lead a normal <laughs> life. Is that true? That's absolutely true. You know, Philip is one of my favorite characters. He's such an outrageous character. Yes, when he wanted to go see friends, he'd jump in a taxi and go drive himself. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious to think about it, but that is exactly what he did. And the Queen, you know, she used to go, you know, they go to stay in her friends' house parties, and, and she, you know, she has dinners with friends and goes to their homes. It's quite amazing. I mean, they do actually have 
Uh, they did. I mean, he's dead now. But, yeah, they found a way to do it. Um, it can be done, but certainly not if you're going to appear on uh, uh, on multiple talk shows and, and, and also, you know, give interviews that actually invade the privacy of the rest of the fans. More from Tina Brown's new bestseller, The Palace Papers. Quote, I learned of a fascinating exchange between Kate and an intimate member of the royal circle shortly after the Brexit vote in which she meditated on the collapse of trust in institutions that seemed to many to be at the heart of Brexit. Her concern was fixed on how the monarchy might be buffeted by the mercurial national mood. I I have to say, as I was reading that, and sorry again to be so dour on Meghan, but Meghan would never have such considerations and concern for the crown. Well, certainly... Kate has really kind of bought into and and really, you know, embraced the role that she married into. Now, she took 10 years, of course, before marrying William, or rather William took 10 years before he felt sure that she could do it. And honestly, people used to make fun of like, oh, honestly, you know, wakey Katie, she's engaged to William, but, you know, when is she ever going to, when is it ever going to happen? The fact was they were smart. I mean, you know, he wanted to make sure that she understood what was involved and she had an opportunity to study that life up close and ask herself, can I live this way? And she has embraced it and she actually has become a very thoughtful sort of next generation strategist, uh, quiet, uh, you know, smart force in the background, very, very thoughtful about the role of monarchy and what she is supposed to do to uphold it. Am I misreading Tina Brown's tea leaves if I think that Kate went in pursuit of William? I mean, that whole don't walk charity fashion show and you published the picture in your book. Oh, my God. How could he not? (laughs) Yes. Well, Kate is a very interesting figure because she did, you know, undoubtedly set her her cap at William and then kind of brilliantly sort of maneuvered, uh, you know, the, the kind of hazards of that lifestyle. I mean, one of the great characters in my book, and I loved writing about her, was Kate's mother, right. who is sort of the Chris Jenner of Bucklebury Village. You know? <laughs> I mean, Kate's mom, you know, was always the smart head she returned to, and they who, who would say to Kate, like, give him his space, like, you know, come back, like, just, you know, don't, don't push, just kind of understand that he needs his time, his space. And she was able to kind of negotiate the very difficult business of being a royal girlfriend. Um, and, you know, did it brilliantly, actually. I mean, she was madly in love with him. He was, let's face it, a most amazing heartthrob before he lost his hair. <laughs> when, he, when, when he was at a university, you look at those pictures. Oh, my God. I mean, he's like a David Beckham of royalty. And she was crazy about him. And she's a you know, beautiful and, and, and smart woman. So, you know, this was a true love affair. But she also, you know, had her eyes on the prize. I don't think that losing one's hair necessarily makes them less of a heartthrob. <laughs> just saying. Hey, Sorry, Michael. T- Tina, many make comparisons. I'll say the uninitiated make comparisons between Charles and Diana, Harry and Meghan. You point out in the book, Diana was herself a monarchist. Correct. Um, there's actually a great deal of difference, is the truth. Uh, yes, Diana was extremely unhappy in, you know, in, that, in that family. But she was mostly unhappy because her husband wasn't in love with her. Um, you know, Diana came from a family of courtiers. I mean, you know, her father uh, was an aide to the queen. I mean, she grew up in the grounds of Sandringham in a house there. So she really understood the whole business of being in, in the royal family. Her problem was that Charles was not in love with her, he was in love with somebody else, and it made her extraordinarily unhappy. And, of course, 
there were some similarities with Meghan in the sense that she too found the palace constrained, uh, old-fashioned, crusty, envious when she got all the great publicity that she got. But it was a different situation. And actually, she always groomed William to be king and groomed Harry to know that you know what his role would be. She never wanted her boys out of the royal family. And she actually held on to her title, or tried to hold on to her title of Her Royal Highness in her divorce negotiations. She wanted to keep that HRH. She didn't actually keep it in the divorce, but she wanted to keep it. And she stayed living in Kensington Palace because she understood, actually, that the potency of monarchy and, sovereignty and being royal was everything to her humanitarian efforts. It was like you could make the impact from the inside far, far more than by leaving and being a kind of freewheeling celebrity. I love your story about her meeting with Nicholas, is it pronounced Coleridge, the president of Condé yeah. Nast International, this after yeah. a picture of her appeared in the mirror. Do you mind telling that? By the way, this is Sirius XM. You're allowed to tell it in all its splendor. <laughs> well, yes, the story was that uh, Diana was invited by the head of this magazine group, the Vogue magazine group, you know, for lunch. And there was a, uh, uh, she said ahead of time, it was a completely private lunch. She didn't want any publicity for coming to have lunch with uh, the Condé Nast uh, uh, editor-in-chief, etc. She comes to the lunch. They have a wonderful lunch. And she turns to Nicholas Coleridge and she says to him, Nicholas, tell me the truth. Um, are my tits too small? And he kind of, he says, you went red as a guardsman's tunic. And he said, well, blah, 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 you know. And she said, well, it's just that, you know, that top, you know, the, the picture they showed of me, all the boys at Eton are saying to, uh, saying to William that my, my, you know, my tits are too small. Do you think they are? And uh, 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 um, so, of course, Nick says, man, they seem completely perfect to me. I mean, thinking, good God, you know. <laughs> then, okay, so she was basically teasing him. So then she goes out, she leaves the uh, event, and it's actually swarming with photography. Photographers outside. And, uh, 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 and Nicholas Coleridge thinks, what on earth? How the hell does anybody know she's here? So he phones a colleague on the picture desk there of one of the tabloids. He says, how, how did you know that, that, that uh, Diana was going to be there today? He said, oh, she called and tipped us off. So that's why we were there. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, so Diana was a real piece of work, is the truth. You know, she was a minx. I mean, she, uh, you know, she, yes, they tormented her. Yes, that she was genuinely hounded by them. But there were many times when Diana wanted her picture in the paper. Very often because she was trying to, t to uh, kind of, tease Charles about, like, look at me, look what I'm doing. Other times she was trying to make her lovers jealous. I mean, she would, you know, when she was madly in love with Dr. Hasnat Khan, the Pakistani heart surgeon, you know, she and I, another story I heard was that, you know, she began dating um, another uh, 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 South Asian man, a hugely rich uh, 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 telephone, uh, uh, you know, mogul in London, and basically arranged, you know, again, it was supposed to be a private evening. They step out of the nightclub, and guess what? There's a swarm of photographers. And basically, uh, it had all been arranged by Diana because she wanted her picture in the paper the next day to, as a message to have that car and say, look, I'm dating another guy, and he's actually richer than you are, too. Holy smokes. I'm not giving it all <laughs> away for free, but before you leave me, I have to hit you with a theory that I have about peers, Okay. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. I have to hit you with a theory that I have about peers. OK, yeah, he's he's emerged as quite the Megan critic. And you talk about the meeting in the Scarsdale Tavern in Kensington. And my gut is that he had designs on her himself and then <laughs> felt jilted by by being excommunicated or ghosted, as the kids say. What do you think? <laughs> Well, I think he was definitely a little miffed when she kind of ghosted him. I think she was herself actually kind of rather unwise to sort of, uh, you know, completely ghost him after after a very cordial meeting with him. You don't kind of, you don't ghost peers. 
you know, I mean, Piers, I happen to adore Piers. He's one of a very old friend, actually. And I oh, I love, I read everything he writes. Don't get me oh, wrong. So I just, but I have a theory about him, you know. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, and then, of course, he didn't invite him to the wedding. Right. Which yeah. really, really uh-huh. missed him. Right. So, yeah, there's a little bit of myth in there. There's no doubt. All right. Here's my final thought for Tina Brown. By the way, can you tell I loved your book? Can I was? Can you tell I loved your book? Well, I'm beginning to get that hint, actually, Michael, and I'm very <laughs> pleased to hear it. You certainly, re- you, certainly, you certainly read it with care. I'm you're, so thrilled. You're damn right. I did. I loved it. But here's, here's now I'm going to expose the, my naivete. When all was said and done, when I finished your book, I said, you know what occurs to me? And I guess I was thinking also about the Queen at 96 being at Windsor last weekend. The theory is this. By abdicating, Edward VIII saved the monarchy. Because but for that, we wouldn't have Elizabeth's steady hand of 70 years. Am I right? 100% right. I mean, the fact is that Edward VIII was a disaster. I mean, you know, he, he was a heckler, um, you know, really bad character is the truth. I mean, he, you know, collaborated or, or certainly had a lot of exchanges with the Nazis. He, he was a dilettante. I mean, he was absolutely not equipped to have this role, absolutely. And the wonderful thing is, I mean, the great luck that England has had has, has been, you know, frankly, the steadfast, you know, uh, reserved, uh, good judgment. I mean, everything that Elizabeth II has shown. And I have to say that, you know, when you look back at some of the greatest monarchs in England, Elizabeth I, Queen Victoria, Elizabeth II, uh, excuse me, what does that tell you? It tells you that women are very good at this job. <laughs> <laughs> if, he had, if he had stayed on the throne, it would have been an entirely different bloodline. Oh, I mean, I don't think that it would have lasted. I think it would have crumbled. I think that uh, there was no way that the British people in the modern era would take or, you know, would tolerate right. somebody of such bad character. Right. You know? And actually, I say, I think they're pretty lucky to have both Prince Charles and William, because Prince Charles, for all of his problems and issues and, 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 and difficulties and all the rest of it, he's a very decent and, frankly, you know, purposeful man who has been willing for all of his kind of you know, the travails with Diana and all the rest of it and, and his own, you know, bad handling and everything. Nonetheless, he's a very decent and purposeful man. And yeah. I think that William committed. and Kate, you know, William and Kate are committed. They're committed. A lot of a lot of modern young people who are good looking with tons of you know, personal means. How many young people, you know, today, I certainly wouldn't, and I'm not young, right. would be willing to kind of give up their lives to sort of this idea. I mean, it, it's like taking the veil in a, in a kind of secular sense. Hey, I promise this is my final question. How are you regarded by the firm? <laughs> with wariness, with a great deal of wariness. wariness. I think that, you know, <laughs> I mean, I think that, listen, I, listen, I mean, anybody who writes anything but sort of hagiography about the firm is kind of, you know, certainly uh, considered, you know, somebody of, to, be, to be deeply wary of. But I do know that, um, I mean, a lot of the people that I, talk to sort of within the palace they they did understand that i was trying to get it right that i was trying to write essentially a history which i have of the last 25 years in which i tried to tell the story from all the different points of view i mean i i felt empathy for all the characters as a matter of fact and 
you know, I kind of love these characters. I mean, it is the greatest show on earth to to write about these people. Me too. I love it. I can't get enough of it. Tina, thank <laughs> you for writing the book and be, being so gracious with your time. Please go write a sequel. Okay. Thanks so much, Michael. Tina, Tina Brown is the author of The Palace Papers, Inside the House of Windsor, The Truth and the Turmoil. Okay. Cheers. So all week I've been saying that talking about the Pennsylvania primary and everything going on in Pennsylvania. San Francisco. Read were, that one. You were in your element. Phil, I, Phil, Phil, uh, Phil Mickelson read Alan Shipnick's. Excuse me. I'm making a point. A I read very important three point. books this week. Excuse me. I'm making a very important point. Yeah. All week, I've been saying that you were in your element talking about all the insanity going on in Pennsylvania. I'm wrong. You are now, you are now in your element. That was hysterical to watch and see and listen to. Yeah. Truly. Wow. It was delightful. You're an Anglophile. You know your stuff. I did read it. I did read it yeah, very carefully. She loved it. I read this it very This is why we get book authors, because you treat them like that. That's why. Well, it, it was. Listen, it was. It was a worthwhile. Do you know that week. Sometimes we get a, a pitch, and they say, "Well, you know, can we schedule the interview tomorrow?" And I say, "No, no. You need to. If send, he's going to do it, you need to send the book, and he needs to read the book. So you need to give us a little time. Truly." Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel One Twenty Four live weekdays from nine a.m. to noon east, or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in twenty twenty two. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.